Today, Liz, we've got a really special extended episode of the podcast to bring because we're lucky enough to have a truly exceptional woman as our guest, Brianna's mother, Esther Jai. Yes, we're really privileged to sit down with Esther, who agreed to give us her first long-form audio interview on Tuesday this week, just a few days before the anniversary of Brianna's death on Sunday. Yeah, she gave us a whole day of her time to chat to us in depth about her daughter, the moment she realised that she'd been taken from her, all the emotions she's been through over the past 12 months, and of course, how she has now thrown herself into campaigning for new legislation for better regulation of mobile phones and social media for children and more teachers trained in mindfulness in UK schools. Welcome to episode 15, Esther Jai, A Mother's Story. We are so pleased to have Esther with us today. Over the past few days since the sentencing, you know, a lot of the talk has been about the perpetrators of this terrible crime... But we are so feel so privileged, really, to have you here, Esther, to talk to us about your daughter and, you know, uh, tell us a bit more about her. So we're here a couple of days before um, the anniversary. Do you want to just talk us through um, how you've coped following the sentencing and what you're planning to do um, to mark that anniversary on Sunday? Um, overall, I'm, I'm feeling OK. Um, I think that everything that I've been concentrating on and um, pushing forward for positive change has been really helping me. Obviously, I get days where I'm not feeling so great, but those, as time's going on, they're getting few and far between. Um, On Sunday, that will be the anniversary of Brianna's death, and we're going to um, be doing a vigil in Warrington Town Centre. I'm hoping that there's going to be a lot of people there so that if Brianna can see, she can see how much she's loved. And I think you said to me earlier that you, you feel like she's still with you. Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I always feel like I can see signs that, that sort of Brianna's sending me. So every time that there's a significant point, there's, there's, there's pink skies. So, for example, when we had the verdict, I think that there was um, rainbow clouds, unusual rainbow yeah, clouds, yeah. and that was on the day of the verdict. Um, and then on the day of the sentencing, there was pink skies. Um, after she passed away, there were um, we've got lots of cherry blossoms in our local areas. Just, they were blooming massively, like I've never seen them so so big and bright and pink. And pink was Brianna's favourite colour. So um, yeah, I, f- I feel like she is still there with me, and I also feel like she's in a better she is in a better place now. I, f- I get comfort to know that. I think that she's okay and she's sending me these signs to tell me that she's happy she's all, and she's all right. You're obviously going to go to the vigil. Uh, will you be speaking at the vigil or will 
some of Brianna's friends be speaking at the vigil? There's a few of Brianna's friends that have written something. Um, I think that a couple might be reading if they feel up to it. I'm going to write something and I'm not sure whether how, how I'm actually going to feel on the day, so I'll write something and if I can't get on stage to, to speak, then um, I'll get somebody else to read that out for me. But like my main priority for that day is that it's all about Brianna. Mm. Um, like she was, she she enjoyed attention and like she always wanted to be famous and um, yeah I just want to make sure that she knows that that is it's for her. So I want her friends to be there and I want um, people to be able to be there and remem uh, remember Brianna for exactly what she is or who she was. So just tell us a bit about that person that you remember. She was absolutely hilarious. She was so funny. She had a um, sorry. Um, like she had such an infectious laugh. Um, I always feel so, it's, it's so like bittersweet, you know, remembering this kind of stuff because it, it sort of brings, it highlights that I'm not going to see that again. Um, she had such a good sense of humour and um, Yeah, she was, she was just so full of life and she loved life and she um, she was also a normal teenager and she, we would like come head to head over like what um, her social media use and her on the phone and she wouldn't, she wouldn't allow me to look at, at her phone and she was just a, a normal teenager and um, yeah, but we, I, 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 miss, I miss her so much and it would just be, it would, I'd just love to hear her voice again. Like I, I could, I go on my phone and I listen to, I've got like a few videos and I listen to her voice, you know, just to kind of help me remember. Sometimes I just go through just to hear a, a laugh. It was, it was such a quirky little laugh that she had. Um, I was interested in, you said about, obviously pink was such a massive thing. She loved the colour. That's become a theme for you, if you like, of all key moments. It seems to be surrounded by pink. Yeah. Um, but you also said those signs seem to you to be a bit of a signal that she's telling you she's okay mm -hmm. and she's in a better place. I wonder just what you meant by that, because, you know, you want her back with you, of course, but why do you, why do you think that? So when Brianna was with us, she struggled with her mental health. Um, even though she, she was quite, she was quite complex. So even though she came across as being really outgoing and um, and she enjoyed attention, she did have anxiety, and um, um, she was actually self harming, and she had an eating disorder. Um, after her death, I, I was really, really shocked to find out that she was on Twitter, and on Twitter they have pro anorexia and self harming sites on there. I, th I think since the pandemic, she was in. She was like isolated, and she had got. She'd found these kind of things, and she was. Um, I would say kind of brainwashed into into doing that and thinking that that was a, a good thing to do. And you've talked about algorithms, and yeah. you know, once you start looking at one of those, you know, that your phone kind of, you know, pushes you towards that more and more. Yeah. So if so, if you're in a low place already and you are searching like how, say if you search how to cope, and then somebody says like why don't you self harm? It can yeah. relieve stress. And then once you've looked at that, you'll just be fed more and more of it. And I think that that's probably what did happen in Brianna's case. 
Um, and as a mother, it was a constant worry um, that she was going to harm herself. So she was hospitalised for not eating. She'd, she'd got to such a low weight. It, it, was, it was a constant worry that she was putting herself at harm. And like I say, I didn't even realise that she was actually looking at these sites online. There's a fine line between protecting your children and, and respecting their privacy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, such an impossible conundrum of how you know they're safe, and, and this is the you've raised this so eloquently all week, how you know they're safe without invading their privacy and it being a war zone at home. Yeah. 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 And it's difficult, impossible for parents to always know what your kids are looking at. And, and as you found, she was looking at things that could not have been good for her. When somebody told me that she was on Twitter looking at this stuff, like I, I wasn't really, I wasn't on social media a lot. And I'm not great with technology. And um, I didn't even think that she would have been on Twitter. And I didn't know at all that this kind of stuff was going on on Twitter. Um, but now after, after hearing about that and obviously putting myself like in the, in the public eye and doing interviews, when I've looked on Twitter, the, um, the comments are absolutely disgusting. Like there's some really horrific trans hate comments on Twitter um, aimed at Brianna after her death. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm all for free speech. I think that, and I think that yeah. it's really, really great to hear other people's opinions and to, to debate on things. And that's, everybody's got a different perspective and it's good to understand yeah, yeah, other people. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's hate, it, it's not free speech. It's, it's something that doesn't need to be said. And obviously you say that, you know, there'll be a vigil on Sunday. Obviously that's a very public thing on Sunday. Is there, will you be having some kind of time with your family to just think about privately? I mean, are you planning on to go and see her at a grave or anything like that? Um, so Brianna doesn't have a grave. Um, I've got her ashes in, in, like, in, a ca in a pink casket. I don't think I've told anybody this. Um, because... I think I mentioned to you before that she did it. She didn't like it. She loved being in the room. She it, that that was. She was always there, and she was always um, in the pink pajamas. So because of that, I've got her ashes in her room. Um, so she's always with us. Just take a minute. Yeah. Just take a minute, Esther. Brianna, Brianna's room was an absolute mess. <laughs> that was another <laughs> argument point. So I've I've um, I've just freshened it up a bit and decorated it, and um, just it was pink anyway. But it's just got a fresh, fresh pink walls, and um, yeah, I've made it exactly how she would want it. She always wanted the pink fluffy rug, and I wouldn't let her have one because she always spilt stuff all over her floor. So, she, but she's got a pink fluffy rug now. Um, and yeah, so I, I go in and I do I go in and and sit with her and um, we've got like a picture wall with all of her, of her pictures on it um, just to remind me of that happy times and um, yeah it's, it's, it's such a calm like a calming room as well so it feels it feels nice to be in there and to be to be you, you said before when we just paused actually that one of Brianna's really good friends said she wouldn't want to be in the dirt she'd want to be at home with her with the family and yeah, I couldn't leave her on her own. You talked about in, a, in your victim impact statement in court that she was a real home bird, and that's what you struggled with initially, that um, the house was quiet and, yeah. you know, she, she wasn't there when you came home from work. Mm. 
just tell us a bit about how you kind of dealing with that? It's, it was it was really really difficult at the beginning um, because as you say she was she was a home bird and when they came home from work she would be there and you could always hear her voice even if she was in a room she would be on FaceTime to one of her friends she, she was she was just a constant presence yeah yeah chatting like a, a way of dealing with it for me um, so like for example for at Christmas and these kind of um, points in the year um, I've just made sure that we've done something different so instead of we would always be home on Christmas morning but instead of that we've just we got straight out of the house and went to my mum's house and spent the morning with her so that we don't notice that big like hole. We're going to talk about the day this happened, the day she died, the day she was taken from you but I wonder whether you could what you remember of anything about the days before or the weeks before and and how she was and and what you remember about just just the days before that happened. Um, to be honest, I, can't, I really can't remember anything like before before that. I feel like it's just like obviously the amount of trauma that I experienced from that day. That's all I can remember, and I can't really remember like the the run up to it. Like, I can just remember that day, like it was yesterday. But anything before that, no. I think like my my, my mind has just completely wiped everything. What do you remember about the day and, and what you knew and when you knew? Um, so, so on that day, um, Alicia and I went out to, um, I think we went ice skating or something and Brianna didn't want to come, she wanted to stay at home. Like I said, she, was, she, she didn't like to leave the house, she wanted to be at home. We went to visit my mum and whilst we were at my mum's, Brianna texted me to say that she was going out to meet Scarlett um, and that she'd locked the dogs up. And what did you know about Scarlett? Before then, had, had you actually met her? I hadn't met her. Um, Brianna had sent me, that they, they, she used to tell me that they would go to like McDonald's after school or the, um, the shopping centre. And she'd sent a picture of them both at one point. Um, but I'd never, she wasn't friends with her for a very long time. I think they'd only known each other for maybe a couple of months. Um, and they weren't particularly close friends. But still she was a friend that I trusted that she would be okay to go out with. When you got the text, and obviously you put that in the context of the fact that Brianna was often anxious and didn't like to go out. I don't know whether your heart lifted a little bit because you're thinking, she's going out. I was I was really, really happy that she, she was going out because like I say, she, she just, she, she was quite a recluse. She didn't want. She didn't go out and she didn't socialise face to face. And I always worried how that would impact her because she got most of most of her socialisation online. Um, and I don't think that you can. I don't. I don't think that that is um, like a replacement for face to face socialisation. Like yeah. it's it's not the same. Um, so I was always worried about how that was impacting her. So when she did say that she was going to go out with Scarlett this day. Um, I just I thought, oh yeah, she's 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 going to go out and she's going to have a lovely time. And I think the weather was it wasn't raining. It was quite nice for that day. And I thought she's going to go out and get some fresh air. Um, and then later on, she texted me to say that she was on the bus and she was scared. Um, so she sent me a picture of her feet on the bus and she said that she was she was frightened because she was a bit anxious. But but she hadn't been on a bus on her own before. No, no. And prior to that. Um, because obviously she was in her last year at school and I was a little bit concerned that she might 
like, I was thinking, how will she get to college and how will she do this? And, and I thought, because she was on the bus, that she is going, she'll be okay, she'll be able to get to college. So you're thinking, you know, as, as a mom does, this is a breakthrough because yeah. she's going to go to college. Yeah, exactly, and that alleviated my worry. As you so what, what happened next? So, Ron, we heard from Alicia's victim impact statement that she was at home when the police called. So when we got home, um, I, I, I took the dogs out with my partner, Wes, um, and we actually saw a lot of police cars. Um, and we, we were interested, like, if you, see, if you see this kind of thing, it's like, oh, I, won I wonder what has happened. Um, but I never, for one second, thought that it would be Brianna. Um, and when we got back, there was police in our, in our street as well. And I kind of, like, it sounds terrible now to say, but I kind of joked and said, because, because Brianna, like she, she, actually before I left the house, I tried to ring her and the phone was off, but that wasn't unusual. Like they, I, I paid for contracts for my kids and, and they'd hardly ever answer the phone to me. And I kind of joked on the way back to the house from walking the dog saying, um, like, oh, if, if Brianna doesn't turn up soon, I'm gonna have to ring, ring the police for her as well. And um, we turned the corner and the front door was open. And um, there were two policemen standing inside. And Alicia was, um, was stood on the stairs, like looking like, panicked. And um, I, I think the, the first thing that I said to the police was, oh, what has she done? Like, obviously, it's, it's such a, 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 just a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to them. And um, they asked me to sit down. And I said, because I had all this stuff running through my mind, um, that I didn't want to sit down and just tell me, just tell me now. And they said they'd found a body. And, um, yeah, like, I, I just, my, my, my stomach sank and, um, I, I don't, I don't think, I didn't cry straight away. And we went through, um, to sit down at the dining table and I think I was just in complete shock and, um, then at one point the police said, you'll have to identify the body and I just completely broke down and said, I don't want to, because it'll make it real. Esther, did you know at that point that this wasn't an accident? Did they let you know what they thought or were you in the dark for a while? I can't remember how long I didn't know for, but at first I was told that she'd been, she'd been found dead and that there was, um, she had injuries, but they didn't know whether she took her own life or whether it was. So I, I think that maybe the, the, the policeman that came around, he didn't know the exact details at this point. He was trying to tell me as probably as little as what he could so that he wasn't misinforming me. Um, it's such, it is such, um, like, like I can remember all of that so clear, but then the days afterwards, like my time is just all like warped and I can't really remember exactly what happened when. It's a bit of a, a mash in my brain. But then like that night, 
it's, I think we were all in shock and we just kind of carried on like normal. And I remember having such stupid thoughts, like um, thinking, because we had plans for the next day and thinking, oh, what am I going to do? Like, do we cancel it? Do you know, like just really, really silly thoughts. But I think it was just that shock. And then obviously the next day when, when you wake up and you realise, because I think sometimes you wake up and you think, oh, maybe, maybe that didn't really happen. And then um, obviously just everything got completely cancelled. It was like, no, it's, it's, this is real, it's happened. Um, and like Alicia was so supportive and I feel like we were, I've got a very, a very close relationship with Alicia. Like she's, she's my best friend. Um, and um, yeah, for, for, for a good few nights, we slept in the same bed together, just didn't want to be, be on our own. And you, I, oh, I was really struck in your victim impact statement when you said that you were, you'd kind of cup your ear to the wall so you could hear her voice at the other side of the wall. Yeah, because when Brianna was here, like I said, she was always at home and um, the wall is really thin between mine and her room. And um, like, I, I'm really into mindfulness and meditation and, I would have. I had. A, I was getting into a really good routine of meditating in the morning and in the evening. Um, she'd be on Facetime to her friends in the evening when I'd go to meditate. And I'd, have to, I'd be like shouting, saying, "Well, you stop talking because I need, I want some quiet for meditating." And when I went into my room and I couldn't hear that, it's just so I would put my ear against the wall and just really hope that, that I almost hope that she would still be there. So you said the next few days were a blur, it all seemed to happen at once. But obviously it did transpire that, you know, a school friend had been arrested and, and then another person that I, I assume you didn't know. Again, I'm, I'm assuming the police would have kept you up to date as much as possible, but I, I imagine you're just reeling. Yeah, I'd, like I say, I can't really, I can't remember the first, say at least the first month um, I was just living one day to the next, just really just su surviving. And one thing that I did try to do is I tried to carry on with like mindfulness and meditation because I knew that that would help me and I knew that, um, I, I knew that it would be good um, as well to go for walks every day um, because I'm, I'm quite, I'm into keeping healthy and, and looking after myself and we will go for, We'd go for walks every evening, um, me, Alicia and Wes. And um, again, um, it was pink skies. Every, every evening when we were going for walks, it was pink skies. Um, it's kind of visceral, isn't it? People, I mean, people talk about when you lose a child, that kind of visceral grief that affects you physically, yeah. mentally, your whole body. It, it completely affected my body. I didn't even realise that grief could do such a thing. Like all side of um my body was swollen like my, my arm was it, it all swelled up and um yeah it, it impacted you could there was all these physical signs of grief and I remember as well it was like day three and my eyes were absolutely out like out here they were so swollen because I was just constantly crying um yeah just it, it was absolutely, it was the, like I say, it was the worst time of my life and I don't think I'll ever experience anything. To, I hope I'll never experience anything like that again and I would never wish any wish that on anybody. And yeah, if, if I can prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future to other pe people, other parents, then I'll do all that I can. 
I wonder at what point you realised, and, and whether it was a comfort, just the outpouring of love and support and, and horror. And then you realised just, I mean, you, you knew she was amazing, but you, did you know everyone else, all these thousands of people knew it too? And then they were all... Because it was nationwide. Yeah, there? vigils everywhere. Yeah. And then the, the community yeah. just seemed to rally. And I wonder whether that was like... Did you go to did you go to any of these or were you just was it too much? I went to one in Warrington, the Warrington Town Centre one, um, because a friend came down from Scotland to come as well, so I, I attended it with her. But it, I, I wasn't looking at the news or anything like that at the time. But Alicia's friends and some of my friends were sending me like screenshots of of what was actually happening, and I think there was there was like a, a schedule of of. Um, Vigils that were happening across, yeah, wow. was, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, it, that was a comfort. It was a comfort for me because I knew that Brianna would have liked that. She would have wanted that. Um, it just shows that humanity is good, and that we we can all rally around and we can all care care for each other. There is that empathy and there is that compassion there still after something so horrific happening. And, and then obviously you, you talked about the first month and then there was obviously the funeral. I was looking at pictures last night of the funeral, actually. I, I, I was saying to you, um, the white horses and everyone dressed in pink. Um, just tell us a bit about that day. Yeah, yeah, that, that was also a blur too. Um, but we wanted it to be special and we wanted it to, to reflect Brianna's personality and it, like it, that again. You know, like even though it's so sad, that was a day for her. Um, yeah, it, it was such a blur, and I remember waking up in the morning and just thinking that I just wish that day wasn't happening. Esther, is it okay if we walk back a bit to when Brianna was born and you know her life as a baby, a toddler, um, a child growing up? What was she into? What was she like? You've talked about her being. Utterly hilarious, um, and also really complex as well. But maybe wind us back a little bit to when she was born. She was quite hyperactive, and I had to have eyes in the back of my head with her. I, absolutely everybody loved her, so a lot of the friends that I've got now are people that like, I met at school or on the bus because, um, because she would speak to everybody and everyone would just... She, she, was, she was just so ad adorable. I think when, when she was little, she was fun-loving and she was happy and she was um, she was funny then as well. And I think that even though she was she was sixteen, she still had that that part of her the, the childlike part that she that she had when she was little. When she was in the later years of primary school, my eldest daughter, or it might be, it might have been a bit earlier than that actually. My eldest daughter was really into gymnastics, and. Um, Brianna obviously looked up to her sister and she wanted to do gymnastics as well. So my eldest taught her how to do some gymnastics and she was so determined and she was actually really, really talented. So she, she started gymnastics as well. Um, and she would always get a medal in every competition that she did. And she just, she just had this determination. I feel like Brianna, if she was interested in something, she would become really quite obsessed and she would want to do really well in that particular thing and she had that determination. And what was her thing? Beam, bars, floor, <laughs> tumbling? Tumbling was, was her thing, yeah. She would just like, 
it looks so easy as well. I feel like I, I, could, I could do it when I'm looking at her, but then I try to do a cartwheel and there's no chance. But um, yeah, she was, she was absolutely amazing at doing tumbling and just being able to do those flips. Like she was so strong and, and um, supple. And yeah, they were both, like I'd go to, to the shopping centre with them both, um, with Brianna and Alicia, and they'd be doing flips and cartwheels down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I stop doing that, come and hold on to the trolley. And yeah, they'd, um, they'd be all over the place doing gymnastics. But it was, I think it's, it's so important to, to, to have these kind of hobbies for kids yeah. as well. Obviously you talked about, she got into gymnastics when she was at the later years of, of primary school. Um, how, how was she at school at, at that point? I know later on she, you know, maybe wasn't so keen to go, but earlier on, like before lockdown, for example, and, and in the earlier days, did she like school? Was she bright? Did she like the subjects or is she not that bothered? I think she liked school for the social side of it. She was diagnosed with dyslexia and um, she was at a later age, she was diagnosed with um, ASD and ADHD. So I think that school was a bit of a struggle for her, but she, she loved to go to school to see her friends and to, um, you know, which got her into a bit of trouble, perhaps, that <laughs> she didn't want to knuckle down and do her work. She would have rather had Passing away in class. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was before the pandemic and um, post-pandemic, she um, when she didn't want to socialise, with, with people and she just became this more anxious, reserved person. And, but, but prior to, to the lockdowns and the pandemic, she was, she was much more outgoing and she enjoyed going out. We're hearing that a lot about children, aren't we? That, yeah. that reluctance then to go back to school, schools, yeah. some classes being half empty. Mm. You say you saw a difference between pre-pandemic and then during the pandemic and then post? A massive difference, yeah. And I, th I think that my eldest was more mm. resilient than what Brianna was, um, but it even impacted her. Um, so I think that even the most resilient kids were impacted by it, e even adults too. And I think that we underestimate the amount of trauma that it's actually yeah, caused people. Um, and I don't think that enough is being done to rectify what what has happened and we've just all, we've been expected to just crack on and, and carry on like this, yeah, yeah. Can you remember the time or pinpoint the time that she came to you and said she was, um, you know, having um, thoughts or was worried about a gender? To, to be honest, I can't remember exactly, exactly what was said and I, I can't, you know, like sometimes you can picture exactly what happened in your mind, but I can't, I really can't and it, it wasn't, that big of a thing for us as well. Like I think as a parent, all you want is for your child to be happy. And especially if, you, if your child is going through, you don't think that your child's particularly happy. That like she, like I say, she, she, at the time she was, she was anxious and she was feeling quite low. And I just wanted her to be happy and anything that made her happy and safe, I would like completely support. But amazing that she had that that closeness to you that she wanted to talk to you and I wonder what it, how she broached it. Um, so I think it was around 2020 and she spoke to her sister first. Um, I thought that maybe she was um, like questioning her sexuality 
Um, so it didn't come as, as a massive surprise when she did um, come out as being trans to me. You might not have an answer to this. I just wonder whether... Do you sort of put her anxiety... Because obviously what you've described is a really carefree, vibrant, hilarious young person, you know, loving her sport and, and her sister and her friends. Um, lockdown comes and you uh, you see a big change. Yeah. When you look back now, do you know whether the change was because of lockdown or because of the sort of the, the sort of thoughts around her gender that she was dealing with or a bit of all of the above? I'm not I'm not sure how much her gender impacted the way that she felt because like I say she felt like she could be open enough and she felt that she could be who she was so who she wanted to be so she didn't have I think maybe it impacts your mental health if you feel like you have to hide away and you don't feel like you've got that support. Um, I do think that the pandemic and lockdowns massively impacted her mental health and I think the fact that she was socially isolated and also because I, I was working an hour, an hour away and I was a key worker, I couldn't stay at home and, and monitor. So she was at home on her own and she had a, she had a phone and um, she was living in this online world and she, was, she wasn't socialising face to face with people so she wasn't getting that. And she um, obviously, as we now know, she was looking at things that were quite disturbing. And um, yeah, I think that all of this combined massively impacted her mental health. And I think that a lot of young people have all been through this as well. And I'm not, Make, like making myself out to be a perfect parent is like the, uh, does such a thing exist like I, we, we, we all we all struggle it doesn't come with a with a handbook um, and each each child is so different like from Alicia to Brianna they've like chalk and cheese they're completely different but I didn't know that she was on these sites looking at the the pro anorexia and self-harm websites and how many parents out there perhaps don't know what if, if their child is accessing this kind of stuff and it's scary and I think this is why I'm calling for uh, mobile phone companies to take more responsibility because as parents we're expected to work full time, we've got children to look after, you've got to keep a house, um, you've got to look perfect and it's just, it's, there's all these societal pressures but now as well we're expected to monitor a child on a phone or a teenager on a phone 24-7 when kids are so much more tech savvy. They're invested in the new sites, the new apps, the new, yeah. um, the new devices. And as you rightly said, they've spent a year living their life online. Yeah. And suddenly we say, right, put that away and get back and start being yeah. normal again. And I'm interested because I think there's been an assumption made, Esther, that Brianna was struggling a lot because of her gender. And that was the root of the anxiety. And what you yeah. seem to be saying is, actually, she'd found maybe a little bit of, uh, of comfort in the fact that you were completely supportive of whatever gender she wanted to be. And she found support online, online through this whole kind community. of like social media family. Mm -hmm. But there was other pernicious kind of influences coming through off social media that were affecting her mental health. This, Plus the impact of lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well that if you have been socially isolated for such a long time, then to be thrown into a school with hundreds of kids, like Brianna being trans is, is one, one part of her. 
the struggles that she had are the same struggles as, as what so many other kids are having and I think that the mobile phone companies need to take more responsibility because I don't think that this responsibility should lie with the parents like it was the cause of so many arguments between me and Brianna and I think that life is too short to be constantly battling with your kids and when she went back into school was that the first time she'd kind of gone into school with you know a new identity or was that that not an issue for her it wasn't an issue for her she was this is this is how this is why she's so complex and because she did she had the anxiety and she had all, all, all of this all of the struggles but um, she was also really, really outgoing and not afraid to be who she wanted to be. And she had such a sharp tongue and she was yeah. really witty. And She changed her name. Was that just something that everyone just accepted? I mean, obviously you did, Alicia did. Everyone was just supportive of that because she was so confident in that this was the right thing for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all of her friends were really accepting and school was really accepting and supportive. Yeah. Do you know why she picked Brianna? She wanted to be called, um, what did she say now, Brittany? And I was like, there's no way that I'm going to allow <laughs> you to be called Brittany. <laughs> so um, so we, we managed to compromise with Brianna, yeah. She wanted your, almost your, maybe help on that, guidance on that, or approval? Um, I think Alicia had an input as well, so <laughs> maybe if it was only my input, she might not have really listened yeah. to me, but yeah, the fact that Alicia was, was backing me up and saying, you can't be called Brittany as well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like they had a very close relationship. It does, yeah. And yeah, and like, I, I was a single parent when they were growing up and it was, it, we had, it was just me and Alicia and Brianna and um, they were, they were really close. Don't get me wrong, they argued a lot as well, but I know that they loved each other. They really loved each other, and um, Alicia could give Brianna some jip, but nobody else, nobody else was allowed to. Like, yeah. yeah. So Alicia was that protective older sister, and she, yeah, I think that that's why she found it so difficult to sort of touch on that point and your own victim impact statement. We had uh, quite a lot of emails after your statement where people were saying breaks my heart that Esther thinks she's let her down. Why do you think that? Um, I think that, that I was the only person that Brianna had and I was the one that was responsible. Sorry. I was the person that was responsible for her and I was the one that should protect her and like, she struggled so much when she, when she was with me and I just, I, f I just feel like I, I should have been able to do more and I should have been able to, to protect her. And I, I, you, you always look back on things and think maybe if I'd have done something differently, then this wouldn't have happened. But I think there'll be a lot of people saying, um, you know, it sounds like you're an amazing mum yeah. and you did, um, you know, nobody could have foreseen um, that, you know, one of her friends and another child could have done what they did to her. So... Um, you really shouldn't feel like that. Yeah, I think that sometimes we can be our worst critic and like there's been times obviously after her death where I wasn't campaigning and I did have that time and you do look back and you think maybe I should have done this or I could have done that and I think that we all probably think that we could do better or we could do something different and it's just, I'm just trying to have a bit more self-compassion and 
not be so hard on myself and the thing is is that I can't go back and I can't change the way that things were and and, and I know that you've talked about um, your mindfulness which obviously mm. must help and I was really moved by what you said about not carrying hate um, because it's uh, you know it'll eat you up essentially I think is what you what, what you're saying um, but I also heard you say that you know there's no way you could ever forgive um, Scarlett Jenkinson and Eddie Ratcliffe for, for obviously taking Brianna from you. Just tell us a bit more about those kind of feelings. I think most people will think it, 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 it's so um, amazing of you to be able to say that you don't hate them. Yeah, as, as you said, though, it's holding on to hate is something that is only going to impact you. No matter how much hate I hold on to, it's not going to have an effect on them um, and if I allow myself to be overcome with hate then I'm not going to be productive, I'm not going to be able to be positive and look to the future and see what we can change um, and I do think it's important to to learn from things that happen in order to make a change and to see like where, where, where are there issues that we could potentially tackle and we can make better and we can then hopefully prevent this kind of thing from happening again. I, I, I've got two choices. I could stay at home and be completely riddled with hate and want to get revenge, so to speak, or I can try to make a change and, um, yeah, just use that energy, I suppose, to drive, drive myself forward. You can't always stop yourself feeling like this in this unbelievable trauma that you're sitting in. So. The strength of character that shows that you can get up and start working for a better change is is extraordinary. Thank you. I, I, do you know, I, I really do believe that uh, mindfulness has helped me with that. Um, and so that's the other campaign that, that I started at the beginning with the Warrington Guardian. And um, I, I'm aiming to get a mindfulness teacher in every school um, in, in Warrington. I've now hit over £55,000 and, and I think with mindfulness there's such a, a misunderstanding about it about building mental fitness and um, the same way as if you went to the gym and you were lifting weights and like building building muscle and becoming like you getting a fit body it's getting a fit mind and it's having that mental resilience and that empathy towards others and, and also, as I mentioned before, like self-compassion. And I think that when you do practice mindfulness, it, it just helps you to understand yourself better and it helps you to notice those thoughts that might be negative and that, that might not be productive. And because sometimes you can just sit there and you can mull over the same thoughts over and over again. And it's so easy to, to do that and not really recognize that you are doing that. But if you've got this kind of mindfulness practice and you've built a certain level of mental resilience, you can then notice those thoughts and you can stop them. Like I've not always felt like this. Like when I was younger, I, I, had, I went through quite a traumatic time when I was a teenager and um, I reacted completely differently. Um, so I, I think that having this mindfulness practice in place before what happened to Brianna, I just had that that level of mental fitness that has been able to sort of take the impact and and help me to to be more positive and to. Is that what you've drawn on then when you talk about being open to meeting Scarlett Jenkinson's mother, for example, and feeling like um, able to talk to her? 
Well, I mean, what would you say to her? Like, I, I really, really do feel so sorry for them. Um, and I know how difficult it is to keep track of your children. And even though, even though it's, it's your job to bring your child up correctly, like I completely agree with that, but ultimately they are their own their own person it's not you don't you can't you don't have complete control over another person they've got their own mind and their own thoughts and so I don't I don't necessarily think that the upbringing is reflected in the crime that they've committed they have also lost a child but they've not only lost a child but they've also got that shame attached to it and I think it's it's absolutely horrific what they're going through as well and I, I am. I'm, I'm just. I'm, I think it's an extremely sad situation for everybody, and um, like no, nobody would have wanted this to happen. And your offer to speak to her is is still there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I would. I'd like to speak to speak to her because I think that she will obviously be grieving as well. And yeah, I just wanted to know that I obviously don't blame her. Like I said before about how I blame myself sometimes and I think I wish I could have done this differently, I wish I could have done that, I wish I hadn't have had this many arguments with her, I wish I hadn't have pushed her on this. I can't imagine what she's thinking. Okay, so you've obviously got all your campaigning now and um, you know moving forward with so much positive change for people around you, but there's a bit of positive change for you as well coming, I think. So I've been with Wes for um, almost 10 years now, with 10 years in April, and he, um, I've got to cry, I feel emotional now. <laughs> um, that he's just, he's such a good man, and he was an amazing stepdad to both of the children, and um, yeah, he's been my complete rock throughout all this. I don't think that, I feel like with, without him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so strong, and um, yeah, we're going to be getting married in June. It was, it was very emotional when we went to see the venue because um, we walked down where, where I will walk down like for the ceremony and like, in my mind I just thought like Brianna isn't going to be there and, um, and yeah she, she would have loved to have, to have been there to see me and Wes get, get married. Thank you so much Esther. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking yeah, to thank us. thank you. And good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. There's, there really isn't anything more that we can add, I don't think. Esther's compassion, her empathy, her courage and her amazing positivity speak volumes. Yeah, Caroline, her words will, I'm sure, resonate with people all over the world. We did want to finish, though, um, didn't we, by helping Esther with a final push for her campaigns for positive change. Yeah, you've heard all about what she wants to achieve in that interview there. So let's just tell you how you can help her. You can sign her petition calling for a change in the law to make mobile phone companies more responsible for children's online welfare. It can be found at change.org. And you can also donate to her Peace in Mind campaign for mindfulness teachers in schools via the Brianna Jai Memorial GoFundMe site. And we're going to share links to both of these on our Twitter page. Don't forget, Jack and I will be back next week with more from the Old Bailey on the trial of Constance Martin and Mark Gordon. You can leave us a comment on Spotify or even send us a voice note on WhatsApp. 07796 657 512. Start your message with the word trial. 
you can also read my write-up of Esther's interview on Mail Plus and in the Daily Mail on Saturday. In the meantime, you can follow us on X at The Trial Podcast and you can contact us, The Trial, at mailmetromedia.co.uk.